Welcome back. We're on a hunt for the real unicorns, the companies which are impacting a billion people positively. We profile some of the world's biggest impact investors and the visionary founders that are making a difference in our world. Listeners will have the option to vote or invest in their favorite ventures and get behind their missions as we share the struggles, the passions, and the challenges they overcome. In this next episode, Cassandra speaks with Richard Dynan, a fusion energy scientist and the founder of Pulsar Fusion, a fusion energy venture focused on propulsion. Pulsar Fusion aims to be the European leader in commercial nuclear fusion technology through leveraging R&D advances into industrial products across the aerospace and energy sectors. He's built and designed rapid prototyping facilities for European defense and aerospace companies, including Airbus, Jaguar Land Rover, and the Dubai Space Agency. His robotics and prototyping innovations have been endorsed and showcased by the British government. Richard is also the author of The Fusion Age, Modern Nuclear Reactors, and a named inventor on two international patents. Good afternoon, Richard. How are you today? Joining us from London? Hi, Cass. I'm not in London. I'm actually in Switzerland, which is rather lovely. So good to have you here, Richard. I've had the pleasure of knowing you for quite some time now, but not all of our listeners are in the same position, and I'm sure they'd love to learn a little bit about you and Pulsar Fusion. Who are the people, what's the product, and what's the purpose? Great, yes. So I left school at 16, set up several companies, most of which weren't a great success. I kind of learned by failing. I had a small exit at about the age of 21, which gave me the confidence to keep at it. And things started getting a bit better from there. And, and all of my businesses have been in, in technology and manufacturing hardware. I'm very interested in that. And when I had just sort of a bit of money, which I would have called my first successes, and I wanted to work out what I really wanted to do with, with my life, I, I didn't want to be always starting new companies and and bouncing around from one to the next, and one day being enthusiastic about, say, 3D printing, and the next day having a mobile app. I wanted to find my life's work. So about 10 years ago, I started hiring physicists and just asking them the questions that have always intrigued me. I was very, very much into collecting asteroids back then. And we used to talk about a lot about where these asteroids came from and, and what they are. And ultimately, all those questions lead to, to fusion actually, because meteorites are pieces of iron. Iron was cooked in a star. Everything apart from hydrogen and helium was effectively cooked in a star by fusion. So it's such an awesome technology. And and I really wanted to understand why we haven't got fusion right yet. And and that was the sort of basis of why I was hiring physicists to just work out what that question was. Is it something that we can't crack? Because it's the public perception is that we're waiting for somebody to crack fusion. And my research gave me a, a very different view of that after hiring these physicists. So I think that's probably what my background. You mentioned that Pulsar Fusion is a fusion energy space propulsion company. But more specifically, how would you define Pulsar Fusion's vision and mission? Well, I, I always knew I wanted to be involved in nuclear fusion and the development of that technology. 
But all the scientists are focused on, on fusion for energy, as they probably so should be, because we need fusion for energy. But I was coming at it more from a business perspective rather than a scientific view. And, and I knew that you know, if I wanted to, to raise money and contribute to the sector, I wanted to find an area which I could actually provide some growth to investors rather than just focusing solely on the science. And fusion for energy is a very big challenge. Because once you achieve the conditions of fusion, which we are actually starting to do now, there's a lot of infrastructure work to, to harness it for power. And, and that will just by nature, you know, even nuclear fission stations can take 15 plus years to build. And I didn't want to spend 15 years financing through governments a power station. Mm. I wanted to be able to build a technology which could provide some kind of return to investment to myself, my own company in the nearer term than that. And what I learned is that once we have stable fusion burn or the conditions of fusion, yes, energy is a very vital thing to do with it. But the other thing we can do with fusion is propulsion. And we can do that without the massive power station around it. You know, I don't need to build a, a huge power station around the fusion condition to use it for propulsion. I just need to be able to get that into space and space is a, a vacuum, which you need for fusion. It's also minus 275 degrees, which is ideal temperatures for doing fusion. So space is the perfect place to do fusion. And now with, with companies like SpaceX making it easier and easier for people to put heavy equipment into space, it's becoming more and more realistic and feasible to do fusion in space. So Pulsar's goal was to stay on top of all the nuclear fusion developments, but rather than use it for energy, use it for very, very fast propulsion. And we think we can get results from doing that before anybody is using fusion for energy. How do you think what you're working towards is going to positively impact humanity? Well, fusion is not just another tech that we're sort of, that humans are working on. It is so vital to our evolution as a species, really. Because all the technology and our sort of power today has really come from setting fire to things, combustion assets and fossil fuels. And nuclear is, you know, that's how nature powers the universe. The flowers grow towards the sun. You know, if you shut your eyes and look at the sky and, that, and the light that comes from it, that is a nuclear fusion reaction. It's a life-giving power. And, and you know, the, the technology that fusion offers us is not just the ability to power our planet forever cleanly it's also the ability to leave our solar system so there's two very very big promises that fusion technology offers us now we do have to be able to maintain the earth that we've been given but if we really are going to become a mature human species you know we've only been around for about thirty thousand years a hundred thousand year old human species is one that can not only power its own planet but it's also one that realizes that you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket and that, you know, suns do mature. But there is 2.2 billion habitable planets in our Milky Way. And if we are ever going to use them, we can't go anywhere near them by setting fire to things. We need nuclear fusion to do it. So it's very exciting that even today we can see that we can do nuclear fusion, which means we are that species, which is very, very promising, I think, in our evolution. 
I actually visited the Disaster Society of Chernobyl in 2017, and I found myself in a place of sadness and death, learning the history behind the world's worst nuclear disaster. And the reason I went was to understand what happened, to talk to people on the ground, but to also use that time and experience to research alternative energy sources. Even outside of Chernobyl, though, I know people can be somewhat worried about nuclear energy. It's a controversial topic indeed. What do you think, Richard? Do you believe it's dangerous? Well, it's a very important point you raised. And when Einstein discovered the power locked up in the atomic nucleus, he realized that in that time, in the sort of 1940s, it was going to be used as a weapon. And, you know, he said it's almost that he wished he could uninvent it at the time, because we did, when humans discovered that power, sadly, the first thing we did is focus all our money and resources and brain onto, onto making it a weapon. And it gave us the ability to do the worst thing humanity has ever done. We then went on to use that same side of nuclear, which is what we call fission. Fission is the heavy, getting very heavy atomic nucleuses. And, and as they decay, we, we capture power from that decay or heat. Mm. And that's fission. That's also the power of the bomb. And it's the technology behind current nuclear power stations. And you know, Chernobyl is also a horrific disaster. But that is from the heavy side of nuclear, what we call fission. The other side of nuclear is fusion, and that's light elements into heavier ones. And on the other side of that very same power will give humanity the ability to do the best thing it's ever done. You know, the sun is a fusion reactor, and you can see all life on Earth grows towards it. It is a very, very good technology. Without it, we could never survive. The planet could never, ever hope to exist without nuclear. So we absolutely love and need nuclear. It is a wonderful thing. But with any great power comes the potential to do horrendous things with it. And sadly, humans being humans started off on that side of nuclear, which is why it's got such a, you know, a fearful, people you know, are very scared of it. You know, and they should respect all, all these sort of powers. But it's also something that we absolutely need if we want to survive. So there's two sides of that power. And I think we, we're only used to seeing the, the, the bad side of it so far, which is a great shame. That was one of the most difficult trips I've ever done. I've traveled to nearly 80 countries and I left that one crying. It was a horrendous experience. But I really learned a lot, especially speaking to people on the ground. Obviously, it's still affecting the area in Ukraine today, which is so sad. There are a lot of clean alternatives to fuel, solar, wind, hydro, tidal, biomass, etc. And some have been around for decades, but fusion energy, from how you're describing it, seems light years ahead. Although existing green alternatives are proven and less harmful for the environment, where does fusion energy sit on that continent? And linked to this, why hasn't it progressed faster? Is it because it's harder and more expensive to build the physical infrastructure required? Well, firstly, it's important to say, you know, you know, fusion doesn't use uranium or plutonium or any of those fission materials. And there is no danger of a fusion Chernobyl. It is not a bomb. It cannot have a meltdown. 
There is no chance of that. The reason we haven't got it, or haven't got those power stations so far, is because it was not a bomb. Mm. So we didn't put all our money and resource into it at the beginning, which is sad. Because fusion, to give you an idea, is a million times more powerful than a combustion or chemical reaction. Mm. It is by far the most powerful energy source that we can fathom, imagine, or study. A gram of fusion fuel is about the same as 50,000 barrels of oil. It is enormously powerful. It's enough that we never, ever need to do anything else again. But in the meantime, we still need nuclear fission. We'll need to use, as you say, geothermic, solar, and do our best to wean ourselves off combustion assets. I read once the rather bold statement that fusion energy is the answer to climate change. What's your viewpoint on this? Uh, well, there's no scenario in time it will be the dominant power source of this planet. Mm. And that's not me being overly, but it's just because of the potential there is so much greater than anything else. I mean, you've got to look at what is the universe's chosen power source. It is stars, right? Stars are what is powering our planet now, what heats it and, and gives it light. And those stars are literally just fusion reactors. Mm. So the universe has chosen nuclear fusion as a power source and we must emulate nature. You know, the universe doesn't use coal. <laughs> you know, all, all the other sources we use solar is basically using our local fusion reactor anyway. Mm. But we have to realize that we're not quite there yet with fusion because there's a lot of infrastructure and learning to make it as efficient as it can be. And we'll never make it fully efficient. You know, right now, engines in cars, they're not fully efficient. Batteries aren't as efficient. You know, we don't make perfect technology. But even if we get fusion, 20% right, it would absolutely dominate as a power source just because the energy potential is so enormous. As I said, you know, a million times more than combustion or chemical reaction. It's enough that we would have more energy than we could ever use. So it really, you know, it's called the holy grail because it really is the answer. You know, the biggest fusion reactor in the world right now, ITER, the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, is Latin for the way. And scientists see fusion as the only way to, where human, humanity could really solve that problem once and for all. So it's a, it's a very important, very exciting technology and not just a, another solution like a solar or wind or geothermic. It will be the dominant power source of our planet, one way or the other. The last time I was at your lab, I saw you testing a space thruster, but I've seen so many great new press releases since then on Pulsar. And I know that you've been working on some other tests too. What's been going on behind the scenes? Well, Pulsar's mission is to build a fusion reactor on Earth and then launch it up into space in three different components and assemble it in space. So just quite an ambitious North Star. To do that, we need to build different types of propulsion to get it into space. So fusion propulsion will never work in the atmosphere. It only works in a vacuum. So we have to first get our reactor into space. And to do that, you have to use a combustion rocket engine, something comparable to what people are used to seeing. But the technology has to be slightly tweaked. So we develop those kind of rocket engines, which will be partly the press that I think you're referring to. We've been doing rocket testing in Switzerland and rocket testing in the UK with the military. And to do that, we've selected liquid hydrogen. And that is the cleanest rocket engine that 
that you could use. It's, it's exhaust is literally just water, and yet it's very, very powerful. And so those rocket engines we're developing. And then once we get our fusion reactor into space, in order to assemble it, we need engines that work in a vacuum of space. And for that, we use Hall Effect, which is what you went to go and see. Again, these are little plasma engines that work in a vacuum. So Pulsar is a pretty seriously focused company. And you know we do hope to commercialize all those platforms independently of fusion. But our overriding focus and North Star goal is to provide a solution to of nuclear fusion propulsion. Well, you know, you are really focused on quite a grand mission with this venture. There's a lot of cost that goes into building this infrastructure. There's long lead times associated with getting something like this to market. How's everything been on the fundraising side? This is the big question. The first idea that came to my head was that this could be a hugely attractive opportunity for family offices that are looking to use their money to create tangible impact. But I'll let you correct me. What are your current fundraising goals? Well, fundraising has been really hard. Originally, I tried to raise the money for it, and I've been reasonably successful at raising money for my companies in the past, and I simply couldn't do it. I spent two years trying (laughs) about a decade ago. And people love the idea of clean energy and of the mission, but I think they they originally thought it was A, very ambitious, and B, there's no real profit to it in, in the short term. In the US, there's a lot more conscientious type investing, where people are happy to invest in something that isn't going to deliver a return very quickly. But in the UK, we, we don't have that investing mentality so much. So after two years, I had to put my own money in really to, to get it going. And then a year after that, an investor who's a, a friend of mine and has been, you know, he's worked with me very closely. He decided to support me. He said, look, I've, I've seen how much you know, this means to you. And he's worked with me before. And he also believed in the technology. So he came in with me. So it's the two of us today. He's luckily significantly more able to fund this than I am. But together, we've managed to get it to the stage it's in now, which has developed and tested our plasma engines with the government. We've had support from the government as well. But we've done that to a a really good level of success. We've developed and tested two rocket engines, and we've had them independently tested with the RAF. And that has been a very successful platform. And we hope that will enable us to raise the funds to develop the fusion engine, which is a sort of a much more expensive platform. But we're very optimistic we will get there. So in summary, are you fundraising at the moment? And if so, what are you looking for from investors, Richard? We're always fundraising. <laughs> but that said, we are capitalized till 2025. The company has got the funds it needs to build out its existing propulsion hardware and software. And that is from our current investor. So we will continue to develop the products that we've already got online. And hopefully, we will start developing clients for them as well. So we'll actually be able to have a a company, which we actually call a commercial business, whilst we raise the fusion energy, which we will always be doing. The cost of our first fusion engine will be a 12 million pound static propulsion device. And then we'll go on to raise, or we hope to raise 200 million after that. So the fusion program is something that we will be raising for going forward into the future. But our whole effect 
thruster program and our rocket engine program is fully funded. And as you know, hopefully we get commercial partnerships that should help with the integrity of the rest of the business and give us some commercials to fall back on as well. You know, rather than being a company with only a moonshot, I think most fusion companies, you know, they're known for being a sort of zero-sum game where either they they succeed or, or they lose, where we hope to have a propulsion business in the background behind it. Well, I really appreciate you being so genuine and honest about these challenges. I think this is a testament to so many other founders out there in the space trying to look to raise. So you told me not too long ago that Pulsar Fusion is one of the only privately funded fusion energy companies out there. A lot of government funding has gone into ITA. They've put millions into that. Talk to our listeners a little bit about the difference between ITA and your venture, and perhaps the amount of funding that has gone into this government-backed initiative. ITA is a fusion for energy project. So it's using fusion as a power source. And the government, along with other 35 nations, have put 28 billion euros into that. And as we said before, fusion for energy requires a lot of infrastructure, and it is a very big project. Now, there are some private companies trying to also use fusion for energy, one of which is a company called Tokamak Energy in the UK, and they make a smaller version of ITA, or that's what they're trying to do. But relative to ITA, their funding is very small, but the private companies are able to do a lot with a little. And it's very important that people are innovating on a smaller scale because these reactors will have to get a bit smaller, but they're never going to be tiny just by the nature of the technology. I think when it comes to fusion for energy, investing with the Fed or investing with the government is the shrewd thing to do because the government will get it right. And these things aren't going to be like fission reactors where you make 100 megawatt power stations. But the technology doesn't work like that. They will be big. And therefore, they will be kind of government-led. And if you were to build another little engine or a fusion reactor, you might get a Nobel Prize and it would be very good, but the government are very likely not to stray from their mission. And their mission will get there. But we do want that to happen as fast as possible. ITER isn't due to have first plasma until 2024. And then they plan to have demonstration power station by 2050. And that's too far out, in my opinion. So it's important that innovation continues and that private companies stay hot on their heels. There is another one or two other privately funded fusion for energy research companies. I, I can't speak as to how far they are along, but Pulsar is fusion propulsion. In terms of that, there are only three companies in the world who are seriously invested in that, and the other two are in the US. So I think fusion for energy is largely dominated by governments. There are one or two private companies out there doing it. But fusion for propulsion, as I said, is, you know, there's three real companies out there working on it, of which Pulsar is alone in the UK at doing that. You've been working on Pulsar Fusion for about a decade now, showing diligence and perseverance throughout. And kudos to you. It's a super hard sector to operate in. Tell us a bit about your journey. Has it really been almost 10 years? It has been 10 years. And you're right, it is a hard journey. But I think it's a journey worth doing because it's a relatively new mountain, if I can call it that, to be explored, if you understand the analogy. And there is certainly an enormous amount of 
funding and reward, not just monetary reward, but also it's something that humanity needs to do. It's something that we won't abandon and that as the technology matures, which I term will be a very important step in 2024, there will be a huge amount of resource and investment going into. So I do think a rising tide will lift all boats. And I also think it's a new gold mine, if you like, with far less players. It's not a big established industry, which I think is good for smaller companies. But most importantly, it's not like it's a technology which we may or may not use. Fusion is something that is unavoidable. And what also interests me is that if you consider how much money is going into alternative energy at the moment, knowing that fusion has got to be the dominant energy source, and that if most investors pull up their investment manager, their bank manager, and say, hey, I'd like to have some exposure to fusion energy assets, right now they can't have it. So it's the woolly mammoth of energy investments, which people haven't yet got the ability to get exposure to. And it's at a point where it really is, you know, so pivotal in with, with 2024 and they're the turning on a biter. So I think it, it could not really be a more exciting place to be with such a huge upside that if we even get it half right, there'll be enough for many, many fusion companies to thrive. So yes, we've had a long go. We've been working at it for a long time, but it's been already very rewarding. The most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. And I don't think we've ever been more optimistic. Time to address one of the elephants in the room, SpaceX. Could SpaceX be one of your customers or competitors or, or something else completely? So SpaceX focuses on getting equipment from ground to LEO, to low Earth orbit. And then they have this mission of going to Mars. And, and that is very, very ambitious. But I, you know, look how far they've come. Pulsar is, is not trying to do what SpaceX is attempting. We're focused on fusion propulsion, but what fusion propulsion will offer ultimately is the ability to leave our solar system. It's the ability to go meaningful distances in space, which you could never do by setting fire to things. So conventional rocket technology will never take us out of our solar system in a human lifetime. We need fusion for that. It also has the ability to halve journey times to Mars. So yeah, if we could get it online tomorrow, we would definitely be able to offer SpaceX a reduction in time in space and therefore save them money. Because the less time you spend in space, the less weight, the less weight, the less fuel, and ultimately it, it saves you money, it saves the mission costs. So it does have an application for people who are already in space. And there are more and more companies going into space thanks to SpaceX. So I think SpaceX, if anything, is expanding the requirement for Pulsar's products. And yes, maybe one day we can interest them in our technology too. Very interesting. But how about other commercial partners? What kinds of companies are you targeting in the space? Yes. So anybody in space, once you're actually in space, is a very, very, very big place. And speed in there is everything. So once we set up our fusion reactor on Earth, and we demonstrate it not for energy, but for particle speeds, for exhaust velocity, we can demonstrate that velocity and sell that to anybody in space. Because I can say, right, your mission is currently going to take you three years. We could reduce it to one year and therefore 
take out the calculator, we have saved you this much money. So our first goal is to show companies how quickly the exhaust product of a, of a fusion engine is, you know, what the particle speeds are, and demonstrate to them that the, the money saving in space. So therefore, our client will be anybody who plans to make meaningful distances in, in, in sort of cis-lunar to start with. So anyone doing lunar missions and then going on to meteorite mining and all, all of these things you hear about, we could save you time, therefore we can save you money. Uh, and that's our client. Circling back to a point you touched on earlier, why did you choose to focus on the space-centric use case for fusion energy rather than an infrastructural Earth-based one? That's a very simple question with a very simple answer. If you can create the conditions of fusion, which we call fusion triple product, or some people in America we call it the Lawson criteria, fusion for propulsion, you don't need a steam turbine, you don't need to do a power station project, you don't need any of that to use it for full propulsion. I just need to get it into space, which is an actually space, the conditions of space is a better place to do fusion than on Earth. So we see fusion for propulsion happening 15 years before anybody is using fusion for energy. And that is why Pulsar focuses on fusion for propulsion. You've learned so much on your journey over the past decade. Do you have any advice for founders out there looking to enter the space or start any other company with world-changing potential for that matter? I can't say that nuclear fusion is something that many startups yet have taken to because it's something that has a, you know, a very long timeline before profit. My advice to startups would be to pick something that is going to keep you fascinated over the long term. So something that you know, you're not going to fall out of love with, something, again, that the world really needs right now. I think we should all be trying to invest in, in making the world a better place and you know, therefore in energy and cleaning up some of the damage of our earlier innovations, perhaps. And I also think it's nice to pick a mountain that is relatively new and that definitely has the rewards in it rather than picking something, you know, a more mature sector, which is more well explored. And for a startup, I think that's what I, I like to look for. Thank you so much for your time, Richard. I've watched you on this journey for the past five years, and I'm very much looking forward to what the next five bring and even further beyond. Pulsar Fusion is one of the most fascinating businesses I've ever worked with, and it's such a great opportunity to be able to support both you and this amazing venture. I really appreciate you joining us today. Take care until next time. Bye. Oh, thanks, Cass. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit our website to tune in to many more founder and investor stories. Head there to back your favorite ventures which are changing the world with their business models to make a difference. Listeners are encouraged to vote and invest now. Oh,